Welcome to the Cricket's Sidecar, where we go a little further into a story of note with the person who wrote it. Hello, this is Chris McGinn with the Manchester Cricket, and I am here outside at the, is it a gazebo, with Mark Stoll from Manchester by the Book. Hello, Mark. Hello. We're here on a kind of dreary day, just having a chat about Mark's most recent piece, which is, I can't remember what we actually called it, but it is ultimately about... Uh, you're the best... Best headline of cricket ever last week. Oh, was it Beautiful Chaos? No, what was no, it? No, it was like something about like death and destruction <laughs> or something like that. It was like the best. Really? Yeah. Why don't I, I know it? I what it was. I thought... I thought death and destruction. Oh, it, was, it was hilarious. It, it was probably Erica. <laughs> We're going to have to go back and look. I may have one on me. We'll go back and look. Yeah. Maybe it might have been a couple weeks ago or something like that. But I remember flipping through. I was like, what's that article about? And it wasn't... Oh, yeah about that the headline was so great yeah she that would i'm gonna go ahead and just hand that off to erica because she's kind of remarkable with and she's risky she's put some things in that shock me i've told her about this uh newspaper when i first worked for uh newspapers and uh which i didn't work for long because i was world's worst journalist but there was was a uh guy who worked for the rochester times and he ran the whole newspaper himself and he was a scottish guy with his big brogue and he was the world's best journalist and he did not care, and he it, he was he was just the best, and everybody like worshipped that newspaper, and it got uh, voted like the best newspaper in America like eight times, and he would just like he would go into the school, and uh, ask the you know secretary or something like that, oh you got any recipes for me, and she would give him a recipe and he would write it down, and then he would start talking to her, and the whole article would be about their conversation and all these different things, and then one of the his famous things which became like a big AP story was this um, farmer, a pig died and uh, was it John Nolan, I forget what his name was, but uh, he said, oh, that pig needs a funeral. And the farmer was like, really? And they did this big funeral for this pig because of him and he wrote this big article about it and stuff like that. But he was like the type of journalist, like he walks down the street, he talks to people, that's, that's it. That's the news of the town. That's awesome. And it was so great. That is good. That is good. And that has everything to do with <laughs> that every week, Mark gets the Publishers Weekly, and he is very suspect of the bestsellers. Hmm. Yes. I look at the bestsellers, and I think like, oh, I mean, occasionally there's like a bestseller on there, like Gentleman of Moscow, which I was very prejudiced against. And then I read, and I was like, wow, that is a gem. So occasionally there's something on there that's good. But I just find like, I don't know how they do the bestsellers or like oh, they, they've just figured out the publicity to make it a bestseller of something that's going to make a lot of money or they've figured out the what exactly people want in a certain package that can just go there. But um, I always find like the bestsellers, and if you look at, I always think like, oh, we're bestsellers in the 50s, same thing. And kind of they were. There are a lot of novels you'd never know about or books you'd never know about. But I actually asked you to read one of, one of the books that I stumbled into that I did love, but I didn't know it was a bestseller, but I thought it was quite good. All the Light We Cannot See no. by Anthony Doerr. I'm assuming you have a, you've read it by now, of course, yes? No, you, haven't, you didn't find your copy. <laughs> I thought you'd have one in the store. I, can't, I, know, I, I don't know I, who I, has I, my I, copy, I, guys, I, out there. I've Someone. Heard, I've heard a lot of good things really? about it. Very similar to um, Gentleman in Moscow, because Gentleman in Moscow, people are, oh, do you have Gentleman in Moscow? I was like, oh, Gentleman in Moscow, how dare you? 
Same thing with uh, All the Light You Cannot See. I didn't carry it. I was like, oh, book about World War II. Right. No, no, no. And then now I'm going to read it. I'm so, so pleased. It's, I, I, it's not, I don't know where mine is. I think I lent it to someone who didn't return it. But it's exquisite. I think yeah. it's lovely. So like with any rule or any prejudice or any whatever philosophy, there's always going to be room for nuance. Yeah, of course. Yeah. We shouldn't be afraid of bestsellers. But there is a little bit of that. Yes. The the other one that I think you're probably going to shoot down, but I'm going to defend, is a little old now, but I thought The Goldfinch by Donna Tartt was awesome. I read it in like five days. It was, which... Oh, I heard it was very boggy. It's huge. I mean, not, I mean, five days when I was like, you know, doing things during the day. No, people, people liked it, and I certainly liked her book, although it wasn't, you know, I mean, there are there are books that are fun to read, like her book, uh, The Secret History. Yeah. was a fun book to read. Right. But... I'd never read it again. And right. I would Actually, it. And, and, I'm not a huge fan of the secret history. But. And I was like, oh, okay. But I read it in like two days and yeah. enjoyed reading and right. things like that. No, but the thing, I mean, that's the thing about two picking out your books is like you get a, there's a sort of zeitgeist in the air and you have to like be like, oh, is that true? Because with the goldfinch, I heard from people, oh, it bogs down. It gets dark in the middle, which a lot of people don't like, but I think it's, I thought it was excellent. But I mean, it's, it, it's, it was worth the 10 years <laughs> she spent writing it. No, but I just think like bestsellers is part of this popular culture juggernaut that is best to, I think you do yourself a service by avoiding. Uh, yeah, I kind of agree. You know, it's right. like if you sit down for a night and you watch television from 7 till 11, <laughs> At the end of the night, what have you gained? And another night of your life, life is gone. And a lot of it, I find, I was discussing this with my uh, employees who love my philosophical discussions. <laughs> but I was saying, oh, no, I was discussing this with a customer. Okay. Um, you also love philosophical discussions. <laughs> but uh, I was saying, you know, I just throw out these philosophical balloons. I was saying, it's best to avoid screens. You would live a much better life if you didn't have any screens, because I do think, in my sophisticated opinion, I think the brain is very sensitive. And I think when you get, like when I go to the movies, I don't go to the movies often, but when I see the previews, and the previews are like, they're coming at you with this ultra-violence and all this horror, and I'm like, oh, that's damaging my subconscious. My subconscious is being dulled by that. When there's a real thing that happens, I'm not gonna be sensitive to it. And I feel like that happens with like television, all the images or the internet, all the images are coming at you. And then your brain is like, oh, I'm so tired. Okay. When something real is happening, I'm not going to, I'm going to be dulled by it. And so many people, I feel like what they're longing for, since I'm so knowledgeable about what people are longing for, is a sense of reality that is gripping and vital. And I think that so much of the information and the images and the horror that's entered your brain has, you know, your brain's like shivering in a corner and is being like, oh, I can't react to anything real, you know? And yeah, I think totally. that's a, a real thing. And I think like with bestsellers, when you like read a terrible, mm. you know, horror book or something like that, you're like entering all these images into your mind and you're like, oh, you know, yeah. you're sort of injuring yourself. Maybe, maybe it's too dramatic or no, whatever. No, I don't think at it's all. Like, it's like, but if you read a good book, you're like entering all these things and you see all these perceptions and things like that. But right. a bad book can literally hurt you. 
No, I, 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 I don't disagree. I think that that sort of, that you lose your sense of the subtlety and the delicacy of sort of fine, finer things. And I think it actually works on both ends of the spectrum. I think that there's the, also the, how much it takes to feel good when you turn up the volume where it takes, you know, such extraordinary things like video games, those massive sort of hits of adrenaline. And you can't, it takes more and more and more to feel joy. And I'm with you. I think that the dulling of that happens mainly through screens and especially through, I mean, we're totally in the weeds here, but through especially like social media apps, things that are literally designed to give you a dopamine hit. And so you, you start needing it. It takes more and more and more. It is kind of that way. I think screens are... And I lump in... I mean, people are like, oh, book. I mean, people have an instinctive attraction to books. But I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Like, a book, like, not to single her out or whatever, but like, this editor who was very famous, and she would came, come out with the super popular book by the person who's in the news and whatever. I'm like, if you're reading that book... You're, it's not even really, it's almost not a book. It's like, it's almost like watching a, a, a horrible news show or something mm -hmm. like that. And it's just like, I'm like, in that I found the bestseller as sort of maybe degenerated into, maybe not, but whatever. But with an exception of that is a lot of times, although it, it's sad, but a lot of times the kids' bestseller lists are filled with the classics. You know, like every week, Dr. Seuss is on the kids' bestseller list. Every week, like uh, Good Night Moon is on the best kids' bestseller list. it's the best book like, ever. And you're like, it comes out. But sometimes the kids' bestseller list, especially with kids' chapter books, you see like the top seven of them are all graphic novels. And you're like, yo. And, uh, but a lot of them, especially I think with illustrated books, a lot, you know, of the top 20 that you see, 18 of them are classics. Right. So it sort right. of has withstood it because I think kids, you know, are just like, or parents are like, oh, I don't want my kid. There's an instinctive thing. I want to protect my kid. I know these books are good. Right. You know, right. so. Right. You know. So the, the takeaways that we have to protect ourselves from bestsellers. <laughs> yes. I think there's so much. I mean, even like, I mean, when you think of like, I mean, this is going. Max Dolly, so... Oh, here we go. <laughs> but it's like, you know, why did Thoreau go out in the... Even, even in, like, 1860s or 1850s, he was like, I got to go in the woods to really get in touch with my emotions, my perceptions, my inner being, away from everybody back then. Yeah. And now it's like one day you're getting hammered with more stuff than Thoreau got in his whole life. Right. How do you protect yourself from that? You know, right. you sort of you become have a to. transcendentalist. <laughs> yes. And you're exactly right. It's almost like recalibrating. And you know, we are off in the, the woods here, but there are dopamine fasts going on now. Like people are literally having to try to recalibrate their systems. Not, I, I love that you drew the analogy also with protecting yourself from books that sort of have that too. But I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of things in our lives that are ambushing. From everything. I, I, I don't know anything about French culture, but I do read a lot of books of, about French culture. But, like, the French want to protect their food supply. And the French are, like, very against fast food. They're very against McDonald's. And I read this article, and one of the chefs was like, oh, because it ruins, it's ruining our kids' taste for good food. Mm -hmm. Because when you get that much sugar, when you get that much salt, then you're like, oh, is this, you know, traditional cocoa van or whatever? Who cares about it? Right. I'm not, I want a Big Mac, yeah. you know? And then that 
just, you know, and then you don't even know, you think like, oh, that Big Mass tastes really good, but you don't really even know what tastes really good because it's destroyed your sense of taste. And they were like, that's something we may want to protect. It's, that's and the, beautiful. the whole slow, I read this book about the slow food movement started in Italy, this great guy in Italy. You know, they want to produce food the old, not the old-fashioned way, but the traditional way of naturally, and it takes a little time, and you produce it this way. Why? Because for pleasure's sake, and it's good for the environment and everything like that, but for the right way to, to live, why else would they do it? Right. You know, but it's like, and that's, I find, with books, too. I'm like, oh, if you go in and you're going into Barnes & Noble, which I love Barnes & Noble, some more than others, and you're just going for the bestseller list, you're sort of like, oh, some giant corporation, and most of the publishers now, sadly, are owned by giant corporations, is like, here you go, here's something that'll make us money. But if you have, if you protect yourself, and you're like, oh, what do, what's really good? What do I want? What do I want to enter into my brain? You can go around that, and there's still so much magic in a Barnes & Noble that you can still find. It's so nice. But that's with everything, with food, with... I think people should ride bicycles. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm all walk. for it. Right. Walk everywhere. Go smell everything. Woods. Look at it. Yeah, we should. Yeah. We should. And we that should. Go, that goes to my number one campaign if I was emperor for a day. We should put all the uh, telephone wires underground. Oh, <laughs> another thing that Europe has over us. Yes. Totally. 100%. And you're like, why does everything look so nice? Yes. And then you realize, and then you come back here. You know, I lived there for a while and you... You didn't see them, and then you see them, and you're like, how did we ever let this and happen? Here's a, here's a test for you. When you're coming into Manchester, you're like, oh, meh, meh, meh. And then you're like, oh, it's really nice. Most of the nice parts of Manchester have the oh telephone underground where we're sitting. It's all underground. You don't see it at all. And you're like, oh, how pleasant. I haven't noticed that. Yeah. Okay. And towns in Massachusetts, unfortunately, it's like all the super wealthy towns, but Concord did a 10-year plan to put them all underground, uh, big parts of Belmont, big parts of Marblehead, and they realize it, but it's like, oh, it's too bad, like, the telephone companies, and also, maybe I'm wrong about this, but when people lose power, it's because a tree fell on the thing. Totally. My parents live in Georgia, and it's always, and my dad knows if it's that, because it goes boom, boom, out, because when a tree hits it, it bounces for a minute before it takes down the lines. Yeah. Or if it's, yeah. And it's like, Oh, that wouldn't happen if, if they were underground. And so aesthetically, practically, and then they have to cut all the trees. Like you go into a beautiful street in Topsfield and the most magnificent town for trees and you're driving down and like half the trees are chopped off to make room for the wires. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, put a sidewalk attention. in there yeah. and put it underground and you'll have yeah. this canopy that's like spectacular. Right, I know. Okay, <laughs> so in summary on bestsellers... <laughs> <laughs> Avoid bestsellers and put all the phone lines underground. All right. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sidecar. To hear more Cape Ann stories like these, subscribe to the Sidecar podcast from thecricket.com on your favorite podcasting platform.